Hey, y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, a check-in on politics, and later, what life is like in a country that never went into lockdown. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners, to my guests. I am so happy to have my two guests with me remotely this weekend because besides being amazing reporters, they're good friends. Ayesha Roscoe, NPR White House reporter, and Susan Davis, NPR congressional correspondent. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Sam, it's so good to hear your voice. How are y'all? You know, making it. Um, you know, being, uh, you know, and, and Sue is doing the same thing. So being the full-time uh, reporter, uh, mom, I, I'm teacher, uh, you know, wife, um, it's a little overwhelming. I, you know, I'll just be real. Okay. Yeah. It sounds I'm, like it would I'm be. I'm every woman, but it, this is a lot. <laughs> yeah. You're every woman, it but is. it's not all in you, is what you're saying. It's not, it's not all in me right now. <laughs> Sue, how are you? You know, I always say, like, I can complain, but I won't. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like, it's tough. Like, the days are hard. But on the whole, like, I try to focus on the positive. Like, my family's healthy. We're employed. We've got food on the table. My kid's great. But yeah, like, there are some days that, you know, it's it's it feels like we have still have such a long road ahead of us. But if you could give me, like, some little trip outside of the house to look forward to, I think that could that could carry me a long while. I agree. I agree. Um, so both of you, as you said, are working from home right now, like a lot of folks while also parenting uh as someone who is distancing alone in his apartment without kids i am that co-worker who's like i love it when the babies are in the video conference i love hearing the kid <laughs> on the call but i'm sure it's not all roses i want to ask if you're comfortable sharing what's been the most embarrassing moment you've had so far in all this with your work and your kids colliding <laughs> I don't know if it was embarrassing. My husband's work does, he's a journalist too. He works for CBS and his work does a lot more of their meetings via Zoom. And there's been a couple times where he's been at like the dining room table on like a Zoom work call. And I've realized I'm like over his shoulder, like eating something (laughs) or like getting out of the fridge or like peeling like fruit or just like doing something that you would not normally want, like the staff of CBS to see you doing in your pajamas in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like I would say that like, but my threshold for embarrassment though has gotten really low, like in the beginning i was like oh that's so embarrassing i'm in my pajamas and now i'm like waving to the staff at CBS in my pajamas oh, oh yeah people have seen me in all sorts of um states of <laughs> of of dress and hairstyles um okay. you know because my kids have like a million zoom meetings too so you have to do i have to deal with my kids zoom meetings and they have oh, like five goodness. days a week every a kid has a zoom meeting and so I've been, you know, on like get in the camera, get over here to see the camera. And my hair is like crazy. I look at my hair and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm in my pajamas. I'm probably in the same shirt they saw me in three days ago. Um, and, and yeah, and it's just like in my room, my bed's unmade. But look, I'm just letting everybody in. Everybody can just see. Let them this all is, in. This, this is the way it rolls. This yeah. is the way we roll. So my new routine, and I don't know how it started, but I'm just going with it. I feel the need to tell my colleagues when we're on video conference calls whether I've showered yet or not that day. <laughs> it's really weird. I think that's too much. You think I'm that's just too like, much well, information? I, I'll shower later. I found myself saying that a few times. <laughs> I apologize to the It's Been a Minute team. I maintain this. Our first day back in the office, I think, should be black tie optional. <laughs> I just think when we go back in, like, we should come in hard. Make America dress up again. <laughs> yes. On that note, let's talk politics. Sue, Aisha, 
Y'all both have been covering uh, the Capitol and D.C. and the White House. And I want to use this time now just to have a check-in on our politics. I feel like a lot of folks haven't been keeping up with it as much because, you know, coronavirus. And so let's do that now. Let's check in. Sue, I want you to talk about Congress first, and then we'll do White House with you, Aisha. Uh, So, Sue, my first question to you. The Senate is back. They were in session this week. Uh, The House is coming back next week? Maybe. Okay. So (laughs) as they start to return, what is a socially distanced chamber look and feel like? And can they even pull that off? Well, first I'll say I haven't been up there. We've chosen as a Hill team at NPR, we're going to stay off the Hill for a little while, in part because our team all has small kids and the health risk of going up there is not nothing, right? So this goes to your question of what is it like up there? From the public health perspective, there's still a lot of risks in place. Even with the best practices, they're asking everyone, including senators, to wear masks if you're going to be within other people, to social distance. So they're certainly making accommodations. They're making it work. But it is a big risk. And there was this effort. um, You know, the White House and the Health and Human Services Department offered to send up rapid tests, the tests that can give you sort of instant results. You know, most of the House and Senate, they are in a technically high-risk population. They um, own. Sure. I mean, they own. They're, they're real old. And not only are they old, a lot of them have pre-existing conditions yeah. or a lot of them have family members who have... And not to shame um, their age, but just to say issues. this is a medical reality. Yes. It's just no, reality, I'm not, right? I'm not like, age-shaming, but they are older Americans. I was yeah, like, joking totally. around. They are a high-risk population, and they're also engaging in high-risk behaviors like traveling in airports, you know, going into public spaces, being around uh, multiple people every single day. So the concern is, you know, if there is an outbreak on Capitol Hill, what do they do about it? And I think, though, politically speaking, not from a public health perspective, but politically, that was a risk that increasing numbers of senators, at least, felt they were willing to take because they just feel like they need to send this image to the country that your government is Working. And they turned down those tests from the White House, though, right? Like, there, has there been any? Yeah. They they turned That's down my the question. tests from the White House. Yeah. If anyone okay. would have access to rapid testing daily, it would be the House and Senate. Why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they making that happen? They were offered it by the Health and Human Services Department. The White House said we'll send up hundreds of tests. And Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, in a rare, rare, quick joint bipartisan statement, said thanks, but no thanks. I mean, there was a sense that they didn't want to look like they were getting something that the general Uh, public and the people they serve weren't getting. uh, But yeah, is there pushback? Absolutely. We've already started to see more and more lawmakers come out and say like, Look, we get that people don't want us to look like we're getting special treatment, but rapid testing us is actually protecting the people, right? Like if you're asking hundreds of people to come to Washington to gather and then literally fly back to every corner of the country, you don't want them to become super carriers going all over the country. So I think we might see that change, especially with the House maybe coming back next week. Like at a certain point, you know, they're politicians, but at a certain point, they're also human beings. And I don't know if the public's going to be that angry about making sure that they are not spreading coronavirus all throughout our government. Well, because we've seen the Capitol. We've seen those chambers. We see the trolley. Sometimes it's as crowded and as busy as like Grand Central Station. 
you know like yeah and I you know I have a bunch of friends up in that building and I've been talking to them about like what it looks like and they're like it's really hit or miss like Rand Paul who already had the coronavirus he tested positive and went through it like he's not wearing a mask so you see reporters sort of crowded around him you know I think all reporters are wearing masks but senators can kind of make up their own mind if they're not wearing masks they take them off to speak on the senate floor like it's not an airtight ironclad safe environment so then no one's actually in charge of setting the rules for the whole situation like who gives the guidelines who enforces them is it all just consensus and do as you will well nobody enforces anything with senators right like they really (laughs) run the joint um the people that advise them are the senate sergeant at arms the office of the attending physician and the majority leader but all of these guidelines are just suggestions you know you could bring a senator could say all of my staff is coming back i'm telling all of them not to wear masks and we're going to try and spread the coronavirus among ourselves to get humor (laughs) like there's no law there's no no one's doing that i'm just saying like there is no enforcement of mm. these guidelines, at least not as it pertains okay. to senators. Yeah. Aisha, you cover the White House. Uh, I want to talk about what they're doing over there right now. But I think my biggest question for you is, how is President Donald Trump dealing right now with this reality that he can't be out campaigning? It seems like he likes to campaign more than anything else. You know, it, it for him, you can tell that this is something that he misses. And he's made clear that he misses the rallies. And he kind of was using, and he said this in an interview, that he was kind of using uh, those daily press briefings as a rally for himself. Um, it, President Trump doesn't do that kind of what people call retail, you know, campaigning, that kind of. He doesn't of, shake hands. He doesn't, you know, go to the coffee shop and sit there. He doesn't do that. No, he doesn't do that. He's not out there kissing babies. They leave that to the Vice President Pence. He goes Mm -hmm. ahead of time and will go to these little places and stuff like that. That's not what Trump does. He does the big rallies. It's like a rock concert. You know, you can feel the bass in your chest. And then he gets out there and he riffs. Do we know at all yet from the White House, anyone you're hearing from, whether they will try to do some kind of socially distanced campaign rally anytime in the next few weeks or months? Well, part of the issue is they want to get back out there and they've started a bit of this. Uh, President Trump took his first trip uh, to Arizona this week and that was just to visit like a massive mask manufacturing yeah. factory. Where he didn't wear a mask. Where he did out. not wear a mask. Um, and so they've started it. Like they, they, And I think these are like trial runs to see how does he get around. And I think they do want to try to figure out what they can do. Uh, maybe not anytime soon but to do a rally the the issue is and i think president trump talked about maybe doing them at like baseball stadiums like open air things uh-huh. the, the issue is that that president trump really doesn't like to see the audience socially distance like even at the mm, white house yeah. they do do social distancing you know in his events now they'll have people spread out and he says he doesn't like it he doesn't like seeing people uh. all he wants to see people back close again he okay. says he doesn't think people need to wear a mask he tells reporters to take their mask off because he can't i mean that may be partly because he can't he tells them to take their masks off okay well he tells them because he says he can't hear which uh, he can't hear or can't see their lips he Uh, can't understand what they're saying gotcha Um, which may be the case but it's definitely at the white house and we see it over and over again where they don't want to wear a mask they don't 
President Trump wants things to go back to the way they gotcha. were. I also think it'll be really hard to know if he can have these rallies because a lot of the places that he would want to go, the battleground states, you might have res- statewide restrictions in place about large gatherings, right? Yeah. Like he might not be able to on so many levels where places like Ohio or Pennsylvania might have a ban on large gatherings through 2020. Mm. Last question for both of you. You know, we know that Trump likes to campaign, but he is uh, still having to govern. How involved is he and his White House with whatever Congress is doing right now as they come back to the Hill? Well, the interesting thing, at least in the previous negotiations, he was largely absent from them. He really deputized Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin to be the key point of negotiations on Capitol Hill and and honestly worked pretty well. Mnuchin had a pretty decent working relationship with Democrats. He was able to cut three big deals. And it seems like the president is happy having Mnuchin be that man. Uh, I think the president's been pretty clear he doesn't like Nancy Pelosi all that much. And the speaker has been pretty clear she doesn't mind not talking to the president uh, and has been more working fine with Mnuchin, but it is kind of a wild time to have the country in like such crisis and having the top leaders of the country essentially not communicate with each other at all. Yeah, mm. giving each other the silent treatment. Um, but, yeah. but President yeah. Trump, I mean, it's Trump is never really about the, the details necessarily. He just wants to, you know, get something, get the big thing, get the big deal. He is, though, saying that for this next whatever they do, he is demanding the payroll tax cut, which he's been talking about for a long time. Um, and, and so and he which always is moot for people who aren't getting a payroll right now. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So if you're not getting a paycheck, it's not much help to you. But but this is something that he is stressed. And it's always interesting with these things that he'll allow Mnuchin to go in and kind of do the negotiating. But then he has to be kind of sold on it on the back end because he can Mm. always throw that wrench in and say, oh, I didn't like that. I didn't sign off on that. Lots of more questions that uh, will not be answered this episode. (laughs) It's time for a break. Coming up, we're going to go to Sweden. The Swedish government's approach to coronavirus has been pretty much telling citizens, we trust you to do the right thing. No sweeping lockdown orders. Most stuff is still open. I ask a Swedish resident after the break if it's working. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more and get 10% off your first month. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. The biggest story in the world is a science story. And keeping up with all the latest coronavirus research, it's a lot. So on Shortwave, we translate the science you need to know into short daily episodes. Listen and subscribe to Shortwave from NPR. Can you hear me now? Uh-huh. Okay. I'm going to have you introduce the show. So what I want you to say when your mother gives you the sign is, we're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute. 
We're back. We're listening to our inner back. <laughs> that'll okay, so that'll do. We're back, and we're listening listening to you. You're listening to. It's been a minute. It's we're listening to you, and it's been a minute. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That works. Does tell me your work? name. Oh, you gotta tell your name. You gotta tell him your name. Tell him your name. I'm Reggie. Reggie, thank you so much for your help with the show today. What a wonderful way to start this next segment. Reggie's going to be an NPR host one day. Reggie has to be. It's written. It is written. We're back with Reggie's mom, Aisha Roscoe, NPR White House reporter, and Susan Davis, NPR congressional correspondent. Um, And big Reggie fan. Big Reggie fan. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Sue, Aisha, a thing I've been thinking about a lot recently is how differently the response to coronavirus is based on where you are. So I want to talk for a bit about a place in the world that has had a response that's entirely different than the response where I am in California, talking about Sweden. Uh, Since coronavirus hit, Sweden's been allowing most public places to stay open. Uh, They've just been encouraging folks to social distance. And the country's leadership has said, we're hoping to just wait this thing out and get herd immunity. It's all been quite fascinating. This week, Anders Tegnell, Sweden's state epidemiologist, he was on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah to talk about that strategy and whether it worked. So, I mean, we oh. calculated the more people being sick, but the death toll really came as a surprise to us. We, we oh. really thought that our elderly homes would be much better at keeping the disease outside of them. So I wondered how the people of Sweden feel about that. And I called up a resident of Sweden to find out. Her name is Sofia Runestather. She's an artist living in Stockholm uh, with her two kids and her boyfriend. Uh, Her partner is actually a doctor who's been treating coronavirus patients in the ER. And I asked Sofia what it's like in Sweden right now for her and her family and what she makes of her country's uh, pretty loose response to the virus. In terms of your day-to-day life with you and your family, do you still go out? Do you still go to cafes? Do you go to, like, what do you do in public, outside? Yeah, well, I do go out. I do go to cafes, but we can, they have a system where you can have, um, you can, you can, you can buy coffee outside and you have this, keep keep the distance. So that we do. Yeah. And, and also my, my four-year-old, he's in uh, preschool. Uh, he goes to preschool, and me, my ten-month-year-old baby, we are outside. I mean, we can we can still visit like um, the park, and yeah, mm. yeah. Um, that is a lesser response to the pandemic than other European nations. A lesser response than the U.S. Um, how do you feel personally about that kind of approach from Sweden, kind of uh, just trusting the citizens? Do you support that? Uh, well, in Sweden, we have like a, a long tradition, like the Swedish people trusting the government. Um, and But also the government is not like so... And they're like a nice parent, <laughs> really. Uh, basically, we, and it's like yeah, like a nice parent, like not too, not too hard, but like the, the kind of we have free. I th- really think that it's a we have a lot of common sense. Okay, and <laughs> we have a tradition. Yeah, like yeah. you have a common sense, you have a free choice. We trust that you can okay. keep the distance, that you're taking care of yourself, yeah. and have respect for others. Yeah. So. You have a partner who works in a hospital, 
has to treat mm-hmm. potential coronavirus patients, which puts him more mm-hmm. at risk and puts you more at risk. How do you yeah. feel yeah. when you see other people still gathering in large groups or still going to bars or not following the guidance? Yeah, well, that is, a, that is of course, very frustrating. Um, we think that mass, I don't know the English word, but I think mass immunity, uh, mass immunity will... Herd immunity. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So uh, this is our strategy. But anyway, I mean, come on, when I see <laughs> crowds, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, please keep the distance. I mean, like, at least, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said the people of Sweden see their government as a nice parent. Yeah. <laughs> Hearing you say that was like, I don't think a lot of Americans say that. I don't think a lot of other Europeans say that about their country's governments. What do you think makes Swedes mm-hmm. feel that way about their government, that they can think of it as a nice parent? Oh, like, I would say, like, add, like, nice and boring parent. Like, <laughs> okay. the society has always been taking care of us. We have free uh, health care. That makes us also, uh, we have, like, how to say, uh, restrictions how to buy alco- alcohol. We have to go to a super, uh, how do you say, like a special store to buy, to buy alcohol, but which is closed on Sundays. We have this re- relationship to our government who kind of, um, don't drink too much, uh, don't smoke. It's, it's, and also like in, in this context with COVID, it's like, okay, this is happening. Um, you can still do this, some parts, of course, but uh, take care. Hearing you talk about this, I mean, just hearing the way you're talking about all of this, you seem really, really calm. And a lot of people that I talk to here in the States, they're really nervous and really worked up. Can you, as a Swede, give the rest of us on s- some advice on how to be calm <laughs> throughout all of this? I think the situation maybe kind of is, is different between the U.S. and Sweden. Uh, here, we were kind of prepared. We had two or three weeks, you know, preparations. So we had intensive care places. Um, they built up tents, and now... And the situation now is stable. We have a tradition also like that, that the government will not scare us. It's, it's not effective. You know, hearing you talk about your government's response, it seems like it's been one clear response from one core set of government. And I think the difference, mm-hmm. at least it feels like for me here in America, is that there are several different responses. Yeah. And I wonder if part of the reason why it seems that America is more on edge about this is because there's just a lot more messages to hear about it from our leadership because we have so many different types of leaders yeah. over here. Yeah, exactly. And we have one and we have we have we have like we have Anders Tegnell. I, I think also Sweden now I go back to the history of Sweden, but we are also we always been quite neutral, mm. um, quite like low low key. Uh, so I think you can see that syndrome now. Uh, we trusting like um, what do you say, science before do anything, you know. Um, and it's a smaller country mm. and yeah. fewer people and so yeah. on. Yeah. Mm. I have mm. never heard Sweden described as low key, but that makes perfect sense. 
And I'm plotting now in my head, <laughs> yeah. like, when this is all over, I think I want to take a vacation in low-key Sweden. Sounds pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> you should do okay. that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again to Sofia Runestather for talking with me from her home in Sweden. Okay, we're back with Susan Davis and Aisha Roscoe, both from the NPR politics team. Hearing that interview... I mean, what do you make of that? I cannot imagine anyone here in the U.S. ever calling our government a, quote, nice parent. No. No, and that is, to me, one of the reasons why I think that kind of strategy can work in a country like Sweden that is pretty homogenous, that has, you know, less income inequality, that has, quite frankly, better health care system. Mm. The satisfaction levels with their government and the trust in their institutions is so high. It's so dramatically higher compared to this country. Half of the country doesn't even believe what the government's saying on any given day. And so I don't think you could have that kind of strategy without completely roiling half the country here. Mm. There is, I mean, I think there are very real issues that come with not trusting your government and not believing, not having the shared set of facts that you are operating under. And I, I don't know how we overcome all of that. I don't know either, but I tell you what, after this next break, we're going to lighten the mood with a fun game called Who Said That? Yes. It always uh, makes me happy. So we'll be back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. BRB. Support for NPR comes from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. One of the many ways the coronavirus pandemic has changed the world is that it has greatly limited the choices we get to make every day. It gives you a greater recognition of what you really have in your control and what things you really don't have as much control over. This week on Hidden Brain from NPR. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two of the most hardest working folks in the biz, Ayesha Roscoe, NPR White House reporter, and Susan Davis, NPR congressional correspondent. Uh, y'all want to play a game? Oh, I want to sure. play. Okay. I'm ready. Let's do it. It's time for Who Said That? Ooh, Who said that? Who said that? Uh, y'all have both played this game before. I forget who has a better record. I'm pretty good at this. I think I won at least one of mine. Oh, like, I'm oh, competitive. I'm competitive <laughs> at this game. Okay. Okay. Well, y'all know how it goes. I share three quotes from the week. You got to guess who said it or ID the story that I'm talking about. The winner gets bragging rights, which these days means a lot. I'll take what I can get. Uh, yeah. Also, the baby can answer as well. I hear, yeah. about, I hear <laughs> I the kid back why there. why they have gotten so lively. It's the lunch rush. It's the lunch rush. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to break format for this first quote. I'm just going to play some audio, and y'all tell me where it came from. And what the FCC has said is that when the subject matter of the call ranges to the topic, then the call is transformed, and it's, it's yeah. a call that works. <laughs> oh, the flush heard around the country. I know this one. <laughs> the mystery justice who flushed the toilet during oral arguments this week. Oh, my God. I so, have my thoughts on who that. it is. Wow. I didn't know that they were doing it this way. So because of coronavirus, they've gone to completely remote oral arguments via phone. And because Supreme Court justices are just like the rest of us, uh, they also sneak in a trip to the toilet during a phone <laughs> conference call. Someone forgot to mute this week. 
Do we know at all who it was? All right, we don't know who it was because I don't think anyone's cop to it. Because who would, right? Who would? Um, but I'm just gonna theorize, like, I, if you like try to deduce, right? So I'm gonna just start at the top and say Chief Justice John Roberts, who's got the most swagger on the bench because he's the Chief Justice. Like, that's a power play. So I would start there and then work my way down the list. Wow. Word of advice to everyone listening: check that mute button. All right, uh, Sue, you got that first one. Next quote. Uh, And for this one, tell me who is involved in these ambitious plans. The quote is, we need popular media to inspire a new generation of engineers and scientists to make NASA's ambitious plans a reality. Is this about the Space Force? It's about a movie star getting involved with NASA. Oh. No, that's a different one. There's another one. (laughs) Dwayne The Rock Johnson? I wish. Um, another classic action film star. One of the most iconic. He jumped on a couch before. Tom Cruise! Yes, Tom oh. Cruise. So this is a really weird story. You mean Tom Cruise and weird? Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so that tweet comes from NASA, and it was in response to a deadline story, which reports that Tom Cruise and Elon Musk are working on a project with NASA to shoot the first ever film in space. Oh, wow. I would really like to be the person who, in the head of the person who answered that phone call at NASA. Like what they were thinking when like, they're like, hey, uh, Elon and Tom here, can we talk to the NASA administrator? We've got an idea. No, hear me out. Listen, it's gonna be Elon Musk and Tom Cruise, but wait, in space. Space. But how can you run in space? Cause that's what Tom Cruise is known for. Can you run without gravity? If anyone can figure it out, it's Tom Cruise. Exactly. Okay, I think the game is tied. This last one is for all the marbles. Y'all ready? Oh, I'm ready. Yeah. Here's the quote. X, the unknown variable. A-E, my elven spelling of A-I. A-12, precursor to SR-17. No weapons, no defenses, just speed. Great in battle, but nonviolent. A, Archangle. Oh, this is Elon Musk's baby name. Yes. Yes. It's so weird. So backstory for those who are like, what is this? Um, This is the second Elon Musk-related quote. Um, Elon Musk and his partner Grimes uh, had a baby this week, they announced. And the name of the baby needed to be explained. And so that quote was Grimes explaining the name in a tweet. The name is a series of letters and numbers and dashes. I will try to read them to the best I can. It's X-A-E-A-12. Um. The thing I think is really interesting about this, too, though, is that apparently (laughs) in the state of California, you can't have numbers in your names. So, like, they might not legally be able to technically file a birth certificate with that baby's name. Oh, my goodness. But will that stop them? (laughs) Yeah. It probably won't stop them. And you can call your kid whatever you want. But, like, maybe they just have to write, like, John on the the birth certificate. It's going to be X. It's going to be X. Yeah. All right, on that note, I don't know who won this game. We all won? Who won? Who was keeping score? We all won. I think we're all winners. You know, it's just the friends we made along the way. (laughs) Yes. All right, that concludes Who Said That. You both get bragging rights. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, I ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They do, and it warms my heart every week. Let's listen. Patrick, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. This is Ollie from Springfield, Virginia. And the best part of my week was learning that my best friend that I've known and grown up with since first grade is going to VCU, which is where I'm going to college next year. Well, if it opens, because, you know, like 
Rona, but like also Rona can't stop us. Well, I mean, (laughs) she can stop the college from opening, but like online college, that's a thing. Hi, Sam. This is Abby, your fellow Texan in exile in Culver City, California. And the best part of our week was adopting a one-year-old puppy named Milo. Uh, The week has just started. It's only Monday. But right now, the best part of my week was seeing the Parks and Rec special episode that just came out. So I'm a nurse and I made your Aunt Betty's pound cake. And when I say my co-workers are all begging for more, they are begging for more. Hey, Sam. The best thing that happened to me this week was I gave birth to my first baby, Sparrow Luna. They say it's not like the movies, but I don't know. This one's pretty magical. We had Sparrow at home in the living room, and everything happened so fast that the midwives were literally running into the door while Sparrow was coming into the world, and the sun was rising, and the birds were chirping, and then there were three deer on our back porch there to greet him. (sighs) We're resting and nursing now, and it's so great. Thank you all so much. Peace and love. Have a great week. Bye. Take good care. Bye-bye. Wow, 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 wow. Wow. That one had new babies, new pets, three deer in the yard, and Aunt Betty's pound cake. Yes. That just knocked me off my feet, all of that. Welcome to the world, Sparrow Luna. Yes. Yeah, welcome to the world. Thanks to those listeners, Rose, Nadia, Patrick, Abby, and Ollie. Remember, you can share the best part of your week at any point throughout any week. Just record the sound of your voice onto your phone and email that file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. All right. This was really the best part of my week. Aisha Roscoe, NPR White House reporter. Susan Davis, NPR congressional correspondent. Thank you for being here this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always love to be on. Oh, it's great to be here. Of course. Come back anytime with the kiddos. Whether, whether we want to or not. <laughs> that's right. That's right. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Janae West, Anjali Sastry, Andrea Gutierrez, and Hafsa Fatima. We had engineering help from Patrick Murray and Sean Phillips. Our fearless editor is Renana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon. Okay.